Good morning. Good to be back again. And I don't have to wear anything. Thank you. Thank you. Isaac, I appreciated your special number. And I want you to know, brethren, I appreciate the beautiful flowers. Every Sabbath I come here, this platform is loaded with flowers. And the Lord has been honored by that. I appreciate it very much. It's 12.12 almost. I just let you know that I start after 12 o'clock. I will be brief. I will speak fast. Not so fast that you don't understand, but... I realize that it's after 12 o'clock and the pastor only starts now. That's almost unfair. I was struggling this week to preach a sermon about religious liberty. I have some material that I thought I'm going to share, but my courage left me. At 85 and a half, a courage left me. So I'm preaching something else. But if you invite me back sometimes in the future, I might gather my courage. It's an important topic. What am I going to speak about today? Two red-letter stories from the New Testament. Now, you know when I speak about red-letter stories, it means that special edition, and not my Bible. Yeah, my Bible is a red-letter edition, too. Those words that Jesus spoke are printed in red. So the two stories I'm going to share, printed in red, they came from the lips of Christ. But the first story never happened. The second story happened word for word. But the first story is principle. The second story, the proof of that principle. Do you follow me so far? First story never happened in spite that they came from the lips of Christ. It's only a parable. But the second story happened word for word to prove, to prove what was taught in the first story. Are you so far with me? But I like to begin and end with a family story. I'm not putting the family story on the same level as the scripture. But it is an illustration that the Lord calls us to repentance. What is it? An illustration that the Lord calls us to repentance. I was, this happened during World War II. 
Now, some of you are too young. <laughs> you were not even born. The advantage to be old like me, that I experienced World War II. Uh, in my home country, in Hungary at that time, we were under German occupation. Russians were coming. It's no reflection on my Ukrainian brethren, okay? So please don't <coughs> imply anything. But the Russians were coming. But we were under German occupations, and the Americans were bombing us too. The big liberators, big airplanes were coming and bombing and bombing because we were under German occupation. And when life is dangerous, people go to church. Do you remember that? When the two twin towers came down, people attended church for a while. So my mother took me to church with herself. Just the two of us. And uh, it was a Roman Catholic church. Uh, there was a big crucifix, Christ on the crucifix, and people lined up, walking up, kneeling down, and kissing Christ. I mean, the plastic, you understand. And as we were approaching, I, be I be began to cry. Now, I was in second grade. I did not understand the theology behind it. You understand? I did not understand the theological implication. But I was afraid. I don't know why. And my mother, I said, Mom, I, I, I'm not going to kneel down and kiss and she says, Igor, don't be afraid. Igor, don't be afraid. Everybody does it. What's the matter with you? But I was, the closer we got, the more I cried. So she took me out of the church. Maybe you need fresh air to recover. So after a while, we went back, started again from the back of the line. And the same thing happened. As nearer we came, the more afraid I became, and I began to cry and cry. I said, Mom, I cannot do it. And finally, she took me home. Neither one of us kissed the Christ on the cross. But this was a call to my mom, who used to be a Seventh-day Adventist who knew better. It was a call for her. I never understood the story. Oh, many, many years later when I was studying for the ministry, the story came back and I said, now I understand. At second grade, I didn't understand anything. But the story was that the Lord tried to call my mother back to the truth. Are you with me so far? Now, let's go to the first story. <clears throat> Which never happened. 
but it is in a red letter Bible. Christ tells the story. So let's turn to it. Let's turn to it. Luke chapter 16. Now both of these stories that I'm going to tell you charged with emotion. Especially the second one. It brings tears to my eyes. I, I get so emotional. Now I am not a crying baby, you understand. I don't cry just for anything, anytime. I can count on my one hand how often I cried in my life. I'd rather cry alone if I have to cry through nobody sees, nobody hears. But both of these stories are charged with emotion. But brethren, what I want you to know, above the emotion, the theological teaching is the most important thing. You follow me? I'm not denying the emotion. We, we just studied in the Sabbath school lesson, you know. Emotion is a part of our life. But let us remember that sanctified reason should control us. Okay, let's begin. Luke 16, verse 19. Luke 16, verse 19. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple, fine linen, and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. Unclean dogs. Public health could have complained, you know, but there was no public health service. 22. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off, and Lazarus on his bosom. Then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongues, for I am tormented in this flame. Now, brethren, I hope with all the biblical knowledge, you know that this story never happened. When an individual dies, he doesn't go to heaven or hell, whatever that place is, a burning place. No, no. Reward is reserved at the day, the great day of atonement, brethren. The sanctuary service is absolutely essential for us to understand the plan of salvation. 
It is. The book of Revelation is following the sanctuary service. And it's, it's important for us to understand. So when I die, I hope to be in heaven, brethren. Okay, there is no question. I hope. I trust. But we just discussed in the Sabbath school class, if you remember, that uh, once saved is not always saved until Revelation twenty two eleven, when the pronouncements come, he who is just, let him be just still, and he who is filthy, let him be filthy still, and so on. When probationary time is over and... There is no conversion and no apostasy either. Until then, we can go in both directions. So he lifted up his eyes, saw Lazarus on Abraham's bosom. Now, Christ used this popular misconception. He didn't want to argue. He embedded his teaching into their popular misconception. Okay, if this is what you believe, I share something with you that is essential for you to understand. Verse 24, then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. Brethren, I said it before I repeat it. He should have asked several hundred gallons of ice water to put out the fire, correct? The fingertip, it's unreasonable. Unreasonable. But Abraham said, verse 25, Son, remember that in your life you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus' evil things, but now he is comforted, and you are tormented. And besides, now here is a lesson very important. Here is a lesson, 26. Besides all this, between us and you, there is a great goal fixed that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there to pass to us. Extremely important, brethren. Extremely important. A great gulf. Then he said, I beg you, therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers, that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. And Abraham said to him, They have Moses. And the prophets, let them hear them. Stop for a moment, brethren. A very important question, a very important principle. 
If I don't want to go to that burning place, the number one thing is listen to Moses and the prophets. Do you follow me? If I don't want to. And if I don't listen to Moses and the prophets, there's a good chance that I end up there. Uh, Listen to the response. And Abraham said to him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he says, No, no, Father Abraham. But if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. A very important theological issue. John the Baptist started his ministry by calling the nation to repentance. (coughs) I'm sorry. And when John was imprisoned, if you read carefully the story, Jesus continued with the same message. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Brethren, it was a salvation issue. It is still a salvation issue. And it will be a salvation issue until probation closes. We must repent. But how? How? Now, the false concept here, the false concept, if somebody returns from the dead, they will repent. Now, brethren, may I emphasize the real cause of repentance is not a false miracle. The real cause, the scripture says, inspiration says, it is the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. It is the goodness of God. In Acts 5, 31, when the apostle preaches, Peter says, God has exalted Jesus to be seated at the right hand of the Father, to be a prince to give repentance to Israel. Repentance itself is a gift from above. Verse 30, And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded of one rise from the dead. If they don't listen to Moses, if they don't listen to the prophet, if they don't listen to the written word, brethren, The written word is the ultimate authority. That's 
fundamental to Protestantism. That's fundamental. That's the highest authority. Not miracles. But the rich man was asking for a miracle which would have been a false miracle. Because the resurrection is to happen only when Jesus comes. And only for those at that time who have been sealed. It has a theological sequence. If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, so one rise from the dead. <clears throat> Let's go to the next story. Which I said, it's charged with emotion, but brethren, the theological implication is more important than the emotional aspect. I love this story. I, I, I just enjoy reading it. John 11, beginning with 1. John 11, verse 1 and on. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary, and her sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil, wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, Behold, he whom you love is sick. Now, you have to read Desire Wages, brethren. You have to read Desire Wages. There was a very intimate friendship between Jesus, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Very close. When Jesus visited their home, he didn't speak in parables. He said the plain truth. They loved Jesus, and Jesus loved them. They loved Jesus, and Jesus loved them. And Jesus heard that he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. You read Desire of Ages, that when the messengers returned with this message, uh, told Martha, told Mary, and the suffering Lazarus said, this sickness is not unto death. But his condition worsened and went down and down and down and finally he died. For a short time, they did not understand the words of Christ. For a short time, they did not understand. But I like to make the story short because... It's, I'm raising the clock, you know. Finally, Jesus arrives 
Martha goes out to meet him at the edge of the village, kneels down before him, and you remember her first words? Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. We sent for you. Why didn't you come? But I like the sentence that Martha continues with. She doesn't stop there. She says, but I know that even now, whatever you ask of God will grant it for you. And Jesus says, your brother will rise. And Martha says, yes, I know. At the last day, yes, I know. But for now, he's dead. They walk out to the sepulcher. And Jesus asked them to roll away the stone. And you remember what was Martha's objections? Lord, he had been dead for four days. Stinches. Stinks. And as they obey, the stone is rolled away. Everybody looks into the sepulcher, seeing the dead man there. There is no room for deception. Are you following me, brethren? There is no room for deception. Or misstating the facts. Everybody sees. There he is. And Jesus prays that beautiful prayer. He says, Father, I know that you always hear me, but for the sake of the people, that they may believe. Lazarus, come forth. And the man who had been dead for four days walks out and Jesus gives a command, lose him, let him go. You have to read it in these ways. Lazarus falls down at the feet of Jesus. And then Mary and Martha hugs him and kiss him and they are so happy. And finally, they look for Jesus, and Jesus disappeared. He's not there. But the story doesn't end here. Um, 53. John 11, 53. John 11, 53. Then, from that day on, they plotted to put him to death. And uh, chapter 12, verses 10 and 11. Chapter 12, verses 10 and 11. And the chief priests took counsel that they might also put Lazarus to death because on account of him many of the Jews were uh, went away and believed in Jesus. <clears throat> not the leadership, not the prominent leaders, 
What decision did they come to? What we read in the previous story, brethren. Luke 16. How did the story end? When Abraham says, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded if somebody rises from the dead. So the first story, which really never happened, I hope you have no problem with this as a Seventh-day Adventist. The first story is a principle. The second story is a literal proof of that principle. Now I'd like to finish with another family story. I promise to be brief. Remember, I started late, so I have the right to end late. We lived in Hungary under Russian occupation. This was a high time when Stalin was up there, and you didn't dare to say a bad word about Stalin. Because you went to jail, and you may never come out, you know. He was worshipped. We were poverty-stricken. Life was very hard. And the secretary of the local communist party came to my mother and says, Mrs. Botensky, if you join the Communist Party, we give you a good job, high-paying job. We guarantee that your two sons, I have a younger brother who is four years younger than I. <clears throat> your sons can go to the university free. You will have no existential problem. We'll have plenty of money, your children will be highly educated, but you have to join the party. Now, you remember what I told you at the end of the first story that my mother used to be a Seventh-day Adventist. So, she said to the Communist Party Secretary, okay, give me Two weeks. I have to think this over. I, I cannot give you an instant answer. This is a very serious decision. So he says, okay, but at the end of two weeks, I need an answer, yes or no. So mother has to make a decision. <clears throat> so one week went by. And the second week was drawing to its end very fast. And my mother was struggling. You know, she was an apostate, but nevertheless, not a total apostate. You, you follow me? There was still some truth left in her. And the Lord tried to call her to repentance, just like in the first story, and just like in 
in our own experience, the Lord tries to call us to repentance. So finally, one day was left. Mother was struggling. She knew what it meant. If I joined the Communist Party officially, officially, I have to renounce God. So one day left. She was planning to meet the party secretary next day and tell him, I will join the party. I will join the party. I wanted a future for my sons. I wanted a better life for ourselves. We, we were struggling and, and life was very hard after World War II. And that night she had a dream. In the dream, somebody put one hammer in her right hand, a big spike in her left hand, and this individual told her, go to such and such a place, just a few steps further, and drive this big spike or nail into the wood. Yep. So she walked over, lifted up the hammer, and as she was ready to put down the nail, she realized it was the hand of Jesus on the cross. In her dream, of course, in her dream. She woke up. But she realized one thing. It was clear to her that if she joins a communist party with her knowledge, with her knowledge, she is crucifying Christ anew. She made up her mind. She told the Communist Party secretary, sorry, I almost, I almost decided to join, but I declined. I declined. So, I'm simply saying, the Lord is still struggling with us. I mean, the Lord is striving with us calling us to repentance. Read these stories, what I shared with you. Remember one thing, brethren. Remember one thing. Doctrinal correctness is extremely important in these last days. You follow me? We have to know what the Bible says, and this book is above every other book, every other authority. This has to be lifted above everything else. But you must know the Bible. You must know the doctrines too. Thank you for your patience. 
I took a little more time, but, you know. Thank you so much. The Lord bless you. I hope I didn't bore you. <laughs> Lord bless you.